Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello, so it's the end of the rapid game week sessions for a little while, giving us all a bit of a breather as the relentlessness slightly subsides. We're coming to you a day late this week, I'm afraid, due to my girlfriend's birthday yesterday. But about the bang, we've got a fantastic pod in store for you. Now, Anthony, today, not that that's why we've got a fantastic pod, um, but he's way due to illness, not COVID, I, sh- I should say, uh, more of a dodgy dinner, it sounds like, past the toilet roll. Uh, but instead, uh, we're joined uh, for this one by former FPL winner and behavioural science academic Simon March, who you can find at March Simon on, on Twitter. Yeah, thanks for having me uh, back on. Uh, I'm Simon. I'm uh, best known for winning FPL in 2015. Um, when I'm not reminding people about me winning FPL in 2015, <laughs> uh, I write about FPL, uh, usually from a behavioural science perspective. Yes, welcome, Simon. Great to have you again on the pod. It's, it's been a while, hasn't it, uh, been since we last spoke and caught up, but hopefully at some point in the next year, we might actually be able to have another FPL-themed uh, gathering in town. Uh, so we are, of course, Who Got the Assist. Um, you can find us on Twitter at WGTA underscore FPL uh, for Tom, at WGTA underscore Nick for myself, at FPL Stag for uh, Stag as well, who's obviously not here today. And we're also on Instagram, WGTA.FPL. And if you want to join the mini league, the code is CPSUOF. Apologies if my internet connection is a little bit um, dodgy or my sound's a little bit dodgy. Got a few internet problems today. Uh, not not those 5G nutters again, just my normal connection. But hopefully um, it doesn't sound too bad. Um, and yeah, no, Anthony, as, as Tom alluded to, his excuse is not quite as wild as mine. Uh, so Tom's going to give us the agenda rundown. What's, what's on the pod today? Yep, so behavioural pod today, we're looking at a select few aspects uh, which impact managers and FPL. Um, there's no correspondence today because we've got some big uh, topics to cover, such as chip strategies, among other things. So that bit of the pod is going to take a back seat. Obviously, it will return when Anthony does next week. Um, but for now, it is uh, the game reviews and the market forces. Let's start off with the game reviews. I think I'm first. So I got 61 this week. A little bit glad to see the back of these sort of midweeks. I think for a couple of weeks I was doing pretty well. And the last couple of weeks have been real sort of downers in some ways. Another 50k drop back to around the 500k mark. And as with the week before, it's been kind of those big template picks which have combined to really body me. Uh, This week I was particularly 
exposed to two individuals, Son Hun Min and James Justin, and uh, they scored 20 points between them, uh, which was great. Um, and also benched the Dominic Cavalier's Hall. Um, Thomas Suchek played in his stead. He got a zero. And, you know, without Gundogan's brace uh, after this penalty, which would have been even worse, it could have been truly miserable this week. So um, 50k drop, mm, it's, it's not great, but you know, I think I kind of did get away with it after being kind of exposed to quite a few big template picks. And obviously, you know, Dallas made it worse um, on on Monday night. It wasn't as bad as it could have been. Um, but it is making me think more and more that I've got to kind of stanch the bleeding a little bit going forward, uh, which is going to inform kind of my chip strategy. Um, but not quite this week. Um, but yeah, 61, 50k drop is basically the headline, even though my captain Fernandez did score. Uh, Nick, I think you're next. Yeah, so I got 67 points. Uh, I think we were about on the same, weren't we, uh, leading up to the Leeds game. It was Bamford versus Dallas, but uh, yeah, Dallas struck Dallas. gold again uh, uh, 12 points for him, which was pretty good. But 67 points was actually a red arrow, which I can't believe it was a 6K overall rank drop. And it's just, it feels like so annoying to be treading water, I guess, this stage of the season. Last week, I got 79 points. This week, 67 points. Over those two weeks, I've literally just gone up 1K in overall rank, which just shows how tough the competition is this year with so many sort of picks doing well at the moment. But yeah, I think the, the main disappointment, I guess, was the Antonio captain fail. He blanked, which is very unfortunate. And yeah. uh, Suchek, he got the zero pointer as well. But, you know, quite a few guys did well for me, like Calvert-Lewin, uh, Martinez, uh, uh, Dallas and, and so on, and uh, who, who came in as well, and, and Sterling. I guess the, the sucker punch, the other sucker punch perhaps, was the Liverpool game with the double clean sheet wipeout for City, complete with a Dallas, um, with a Dias, Dias, uh, with a Diaz yellow card, and that Salah penalty with that goal alone wiping out uh, 20k of my rank. So that was a particularly galling turn of events, just that little moment. But otherwise, just just a tiny red arrow, which I guess is a little bit disappointing. But um, Simon got 68 points there. Did you get a green arrow for the 68? I, I did. My first green arrow in quite some time. So um, clawing my way slowly back to respectability uh, after I think I think my uh, my rank has halved twice two weeks running. Um, or oh, sorry, doubled rather. So <laughs> that uh, sounds, that, I was going to say yeah. that, that's <laughs> that a good thing. Sense, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, I think I only went up about sort of six or seven thousand. Um, but it's nice to have a, a green arrow um, and got returns from uh, Dallas Salah Fernandez as my captain, Sterling uh, and Calvert Lewin. Um, Calvert Lewin was a really nice one actually because I was watching the match and with about 30 seconds left to go i i switched it off um and uh you know just sort of okay i'll have to make do with an assist um switched it back on uh about you know 10 minutes later and uh, saw a, a smiling dominic calvert lewin um being interviewed and you know he, he was losing 3-2 at the time you know that i switched off so uh what, what, what happened there and uh, sure enough he'd scored a goal so yeah that, that was uh that was nice it's worth uh, seven points in the end but yeah overall reasonably happy with uh with that one nice one uh, how are you doing the season overall oh, awfully terribly <laughs> really really bad <laughs> not as bad as me surely 500k yeah 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 worse yeah yeah and how the mighty have fallen I, eh? how the mighty yeah, have fallen. I, I, it's, 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 it's absolutely true for me to go to you I'm, I'm not a good manager yeah, but 583,000 uh, I am at the moment so. oh, I'm sure we can get it back I'm sure you can I have to make do with the uh, second place uh, this season so. <laughs> uh, maybe 
Right. Uh, speaking of Calvert-Lewin, yes, I had the opposite. Um, I switched it off and thinking, oh, he's just got an assist, it's fine. And then came back to it about five minutes later. And I saw our Slack was for them. Calvert-Lewin, oh, he scored. I was like, oh, Anyway, and, and speaking of Calvert-Lewin, that segues us nicely onto the market forces because the man himself is top of the market forces, isn't he, Nick? He's been transferred back in like it's game week two. Yeah, he's definitely a popular pick this week. 430,000 transfers in at time of recording, thanks to that goal and assist. Obviously, Everton have a double game week just approaching as well, so it seems like he's finding his form just in time for that. So, yeah, no surprises there at all that so many people transferring in. In and obviously Gundogan as well, another very popular pick ahead of the double game week. Yet another brace um, from him. He's just doing so well, isn't he? Um, also involved in the captaincy conversation, I'm sure. And it's something we're probably so surprised about at the beginning of the season to expect Gundogan to to do well. Otherwise, um, some interesting things happening with uh, Kane and Son. So Kane's had 220,000 transfers in, third most transferred in player. But Son has had 125 transfers out, which is, is quite interesting to think about the reasons why. Obviously, Son actually outscored Kane um, this particular game week, but perhaps it's, it's some of Son's poor form prior to that and the fact Kane is coming back from injury that's exciting people plus the congestion in the midfield compared to the forwards where we don't have as many options perhaps one of the reasons why so many people bring in Kane quite an interesting pick and um, yeah a few others Foden being heavily bought in 150,000 transfers in and uh, Ollie Watkins also catching the eye with 130,000 transfers in perhaps a, a straight swap there for um Callum Wilson, who's the most sold at the moment. And Watkins actually is doing excellently at the moment with four goals and five. So a little bit under the radar, that pip right now. Yeah, but still, you know, the likes of Antonio, who again um, hasn't featured tonight, not even in the squad, um, I guess uh, also being a foil for the likes of Kane and Watkins uh, to be bought in. Um, but yeah, an interesting set of, uh, of market data there, that's for sure. Right, let's move on to the main topic today, which is behavioural science. Let's uh, give a quick explanation of what this is before we go any further. Yeah, Simon's got a master's degree in LSE in this subject, and I used to work uh, for a behavioral science agency. I think it's one of the first things Nick and I thought we'd hero back in the day. But anyway, simply put, behavioral science or behavioral economics uh, takes underlying principles of how humans behave according to economics and infuses them with irrationality, effectively. So trailblazers like Taylor, Kahneman, Spursky, you may have heard of, lots of academic antecedents. They effectively took issue of pure economics as a view of how humans behave. So this view, pure economics, that is, is that we're all econs, that is, we Everything we do um, is examined thoroughly. We weigh up all the outcomes and come to the best decision we possibly can through careful analysis of all of the evidence available to us to make ourselves into the best little economic unit we can possibly be, otherwise known as maximising utility. What the behaviourist said, broad brushstrokes here, was simply, hey, that's not true. The human brain is an ascended animal one, effectively, designed for a simpler time when the barrage of messages, decisions we now make on a daily basis simply didn't exist. We're flawed, we're irrational, and as a result of all this information overload, we utilise shortcuts, heuristics and biases to help us navigate a cognitively complex world. Simon, what do you reckon? Is that, is that about right, <laughs> academically? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great um, definition. Ultimately, I, I suppose, you know, what it is, is the study of, of why people do what they do, why people behave in the ways that they uh, that they do. Um, mm. And, you know, as, as you mentioned, psychologists have found that people behave you know, predictably uh, irrationally or in predictably irrational ways um, yeah, based do. on those biases which are which are hardwired into us. Um, so if you can identify 
uh, those uh, those biases. You know, you can also design ways to to help improve the way that people make decisions. And FPL is is a really good arena for uh, identifying um, those biases in practice. But also, uh, I think that uh, behavioral science um, is uh, also a very good way to improve your fantasy management. Yeah, definitely. I think it can supplement um, what you do. It can, under, it can help you understand and kind of put framework around what you see happening in front of you. And uh, for the best managers, um, i.e. not me and to some extent, um, give you the tools to help improve. Um, today, I mean, there are loads of things that we see in, in the FPL sphere in terms of behavioral science, as Simon mentioned. And you'll hear many of them sort of trumpeted throughout the FPL um, discourse, normally half understood, but I might add, when we talk about FPL, so things like confirmation bias, outcome bias, we did the pod on that earlier this year, and sunk cost fallacy, a stick with which I love to hit analytics FC with. Um, all of those have permeated the discourse to some extent. Today, we're going to home in on three. Um, gamblers slash hot hand fallacy, loss aversion, and satisfying versus maximizing in decision making. Uh, let's move on to the first one, which is gamblers slash hot hand fallacy. Oh, I'm going to have a go at doing gamblers and i'm going to pass on to you simon because i know hot hand is your fang um but in terms of gamblers fallacy uh, this is the notion that things in life are inherently fair and will even out and um, the analogy is of someone at a roulette table and they're watching the ball land on red every single time and they think to themselves yeah last time last few times it's landed on red so the next time it has to be black right obviously it's a fallacy it's not true life isn't fair and things don't inherently even out so the gambler's entire notions were completely wrong and hot hand fallacy i guess simon splits off from that doesn't it yeah and in in some respects it's it's the inverse um it's the question uh, of whether scoring once improves the likelihood that you'll score with your next attempt uh so it's been studied um for about 40 years uh now in an academic uh environment it's been literally hundreds of studies uh Looking at basketball, tennis, baseball, bowling—pretty much any sport that you could uh, that you could imagine—but it, it is very controversial. Uh, partly because it's one of these things that people just believe in. You, you believe it in your bones. Uh, if you play or watch uh, or talk about sport, um, you just kind of assume that it it, it does exist. And in uh, football, we you know we describe this effect uh, as form, um, and it's it's talked about all the time. Um, and it's uh, and it's assumed to be a real thing um, that if a player is in, in form, they're more likely to uh, produce positive results. Uh, so you know, more likely to score a goal. But the question remains: Are they? Does that actually exist? Does that hot hand effect actually exist in in, uh, in football? Yeah, I mean, we, we've seen plenty of examples in the past, haven't we? And we sometimes refer it as well on the pod as like a purple patch when when a player just seems to be hitting that form and scoring week in, week out. And sometimes you get some quite interesting characters that emerge in FPL sort of out of the blue. In the past, we've seen Etienne Capou, you know, a few seasons back, started off excellently and just, <laughs> and just kept scoring. And we were like, well, this guy's going to stop at some point. And the goals just kept coming for at least the first 10 or so game weeks of that season. Aaron Ramsey sort of emerging in the past as well. And, and this season, we've, we've seen the, the rise of Goodhan, at least in the last uh, five or six game weeks. You know, he's, he's kind of emerged out of the shadows, been at Manchester City now for about five seasons. Uh, last season, for instance, he only actually scored two goals when he managed that in the last game. And, and you know, he's had nine goals now in, in nine game weeks. So this, this guy has been on what you would refer to as, as a hot hand streak. But obviously, you know, 
few things have changed in terms of his positioning. The penalties as well, of course, helps, even though, really, even though he missed one this particular game week. But, you know, definitely um, you see it quite a lot in, in FPL, these, these players that you just don't expect to, to kind of hit these sort of scoring runs. And, and ultimately, I think, you know, there is an element that is to do with hot hands. You know, they're, they're on fire. And we see it all the time as well in, in real life as well, even playing video games, for instance. I've, I've gone through streaks on Call of Duty when I've just been just doing excellently. <laughs> and then, then I'll go for a dreadful, like a whole evening of just playing dreadfully, regardless of what map or setting I play on. And I think, you, I think we can certainly all relate to that. Yeah, I, th- I think certainly in, in FPL terms and in football terms, there's always this sort of notion of form. And I know does form exist as a whole other question, which we're not going to go into here in an analytic sense. Um, but there is always kind of the drawback that humans are designed or at least have come to see patterns in things to help you make sense of what's going on in front of you, where maybe actually sometimes none exists. Um, but that being said, there are lots of examples Nick's mentioned um, from Bruno Fernandes in the last calendar year, all the way back to an example of somebody like Michael Ricketts. Remember him at Bolton? He went on that ridiculous goal-scoring run when he scored in every single game for a, what felt like about a, a year or so, and then spectacularly bottomed out, fell off the radar. So a hot hand can definitely be felt to exist um, in FPL. I, I guess, Simon, though, how can people be mindful of hot hand in FPL and its effects? And what advice would you give them surrounding hot hand before we relate that to well, gamblers? I, I did have a crack, actually, at, at figuring out whether form does exist in, uh, in football. And um, the first question that I wanted to answer was, does form exist? So what I looked at was a kind of specific group of players. I looked at the top 10 goal scorers from the past 10 uh, Premier League seasons. And I looked at whether they scored more frequently in their next game if they'd scored in their in their previous game. And in doing that, I looked at thousands of events, 50 individual player seasons, um, 1,673 matches, uh, you know, almost 800 goals. In terms of the results, I found that players were not more likely to score in the next match uh, after scoring in their previous match. And in fact, they were 20% more likely to not score in the following game after they'd scored in their previous game. Um, so score then a blank. It was 20% more likely. Um, they were 21% more likely to score in the game after not scoring. So they were more, 21% more likely to blank and then score in the next game. So all, all of this implies that a hot hand effect doesn't exist within, you know, within this data set. And you could argue on this basis that uh, it doesn't exist in football in a, in a meaningful statistical sense. Um, so when we talk yeah. about form, uh, goal scoring form, and we see a player scoring one match and we expect him to be more likely to score in the next match is actually the opposite. No, it's interesting that you've got, I guess it's such a low scoring game, isn't it, football? I mean, you've compared obviously other sports you've mentioned there, basketball, very high scoring game. Um, so I'm not particularly surprised by that. They're 20% more likely to blank after scoring. I'm, again, not surprised that you've got 21%, quite a low percent chance of them scoring after a blank, after scoring in the first game. So score, blank, score. And I mean, I think that may be, that is why things that stick in the memory, like Vardy scoring that huge streak, like lots of Michu going on that run when they, he was tearing it up, those things are so rare. That's why they stick in mind. There's availability. It's not really about that being a commonplace thing. What I think is, is going on here, so um, talking about the representativeness heuristic, 
Um, so how representative is a, a streak is of um, appearing random or non-random? And we said, well, you know, that, that doesn't really fit with the data that we've got here. Hmm. I think it's something similar. Um, I think that we all have certain reference points uh, in, our, in our mind and we're always comparing things to those reference points. So, um, for example, you know, in a different context, uh, if you gave £100 to a homeless person, and a hundred pounds to a billionaire, they'd react very differently. Um, mm. But you know, it's a hundred pounds in both cases. How you feel about it changes, you know, depending on you know the context on on what it's compared to. Um, and so I think what is happening here is with the player who is scoring, um, that people are comparing the to to various things. Um, so. After the first instance, the first match after they've uh, scored, um, yeah. that fact that they scored in their last game is very, very salient in their in their minds. Yeah. And so that's um, yeah, very convincing uh, for them that they're likely to score in, uh, in this next match. Um, however, the longer that streak goes on, um, the more difficult uh, it is to believe that it will continue to go on because our, our experience of long goal-scoring streaks uh, are quite small. Um, you know, quite low. We don't see them very often. We don't see goal scoring streaks of you know, people scoring five games, six games in a row very often. And so we start to, and the thing that we're comparing it to, the reference point that we're comparing it to is now our memory of goal scoring streaks. Um, and uh, yeah, as a result, the longer that streak went on, the less faith people had in the hot hand uh, effect. Um, with the non-scoring streak, uh, you had a you removed a non-scoring game, um, but at that point, people weren't comparing that player uh, to the previous game. They were comparing that player to his performance in the previous season, uh, where he did really well. So, you know, in that context, removing a game, uh, a blanking game, actually makes it more likely in mm. people's minds that he will score in the in the next game. However, as that non-scoring streak continues that non-scoring streak becomes the reference point that is most salient and most important to people when they're making their, their decisions. And from a FPL uh, perspective, I, I think this is quite interesting because we work with those reference points all, all the time. Um, you know, we're constantly influenced by how a player played in the last match, how a player played last season, um, you know, uh, how a player played in their, in their last few matches. Um, you know, how long we expect a, a, a streak to you know, realistically continue for. Um, and, uh, or, or, you know, other things uh, you know, unrelated, like, for example, you know, how a player played in the same fixture um, last season or earlier on in the season, or whether a player reminds us of another player um, that we've seen in the past, uh, you know, things like that. Um, and uh, so I think, what is important is that when you're making these decisions, and particularly when you have a gut feeling about something in FPL, that you really think about what it is that's causing that feeling to occur and, and how legitimate it, it is. Um, because you know, we work on, on these kind of rules of thumb. You know, Suarez always does really well against Norwich. You know, th things like, uh, like that. Um, but when you actually dig into the data uh, below them, uh, a lot of the time, you know, they aren't, they're not backed up, um, you know, by objective data. Uh, they're kind of subjective rules of thumb that, that we kind of create for ourselves to make the decision making process uh, more easy. 
Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's really interesting, Simon. I think certainly we've seen some uh, cases in the last couple of weeks with Son, for instance, he, he actually blanked for five game weeks in a row. But, you know, there, there are myriads of factors involved in that, wasn't there? And obviously we saw, you know, looking at who they were playing next, West Brom um, brought a lot of focus this last game week and um, a lot of managers making that decision over whether to bring Son in. Should we be looking at his past performances, those last five game weeks where he hadn't done particularly well? Or the fact that he had, ultimately the best fixture in the league, the plum home game against West Brom. And, it, and the same with Salah as well, to be honest, to a certain extent, a lot of people selling him because of some of those uh, dodgy performances, but not factoring the realities that he'd actually had a couple of offside goals. He was still the penalty taker in the team, the top scorer in the league, all these kind of elements that you said, actually, you know, people saying, sell Salah, he's, he's out of form. He, he's going through a, a bad patch when reality is we, we, we know he's actually a, a certain standard and can deliver. And that made that sort of Son, Salah, switcheroo sort of transfer from last week particularly tough for me. Yeah. Well, one, one of the things I think that, you know, really came free to me from, from this study is I, I don't think that conclusively we can say from this study that uh, goal scoring form doesn't exist. Um, but I think that we can say that we exaggerate uh, its effect um, or, or our belief in it is, is exaggerated decisions that we make in FBL really come down to two things, form or fixtures. Um, and, you know, when we're talking about, about goal scoring, um, if, you know, the data suggests that actually, um, you know, one of the big things that, that, we, uh, that we base our decisions on, you know, how a player play, performed in his previous uh, match, you know, whether, whether or not he scored, um, actually isn't a very accurate um, basis for making that decision, then, our decisions are always going to be very inefficient uh, on on that basis. So I think that you know we probably do need to look at things in a little bit more detail um, and and look at some of these uh, you know wider con- contextual factors. Like you were saying, uh, you know who is the opposition? You know is it a good fixture? You know things like even a formation that you're playing against. You know whether they're weak on the left hand side or the right hand side. You, you know things things like this. This is probably the level that you have to get to in order to uh, you know, genuinely make rational predictions um, in, uh, in FBL. Cool. So quite a lot of detail surrounding Gambler's Fallacy in the heart hand there. But basically, it's definitely something that's worth bearing in mind when you're making your decisions. Uh, it's okay to believe form exists, um, but context is probably widely required to ground that form in a sense of understanding of the other things that could be feeding into why or why, or why not um, that is continuing to go on. As Simon said, 20% of the time, um, they're 20% more likely to blank after scoring a player in Simon's study. An interesting kind of a number to bear in mind there. Let's move on to loss aversion. Uh, loss aversion is quite a, a topical one, I think, over the last few weeks because of the high EO captains, which have been permeating uh, the captain choices. Uh, but loss aversion is basically the idea that losses are more keenly felt than gains. Uh, fear is a very strong emotion i suppose which drives a lot of behavior none more so than in loss aversion and we tend to focus more um, as human beings on setbacks than on progress an easy way to think of this is benching so somebody who loses 10 points for a benching mishap will feel that bit worse compared to how satisfied an equivalent person is through getting a 10 pointer off the bench so you feel much worse about a bad thing happening when you do feel good about a good, good thing happening. And this actually links to the endowment effect, which you've written on Sai as well a little bit. I mean, how do you think this relates to FPL? 
Well, I think from a, a loss aversion perspective, there's a few different ways um, that uh, it can affect us. And one of them, I think, is is that um, you know we won't take action for fear of losing out. Um, yeah, as you said, you know, people tend to fear losses more than they uh, value gains. So um, we find ourselves reticent to transfer out a player who we feel might punish us, um, even if there are objectively better options to transfer that player to. Uh, and as a result, you know, we end up with these players in, in our team um, you know, longer than perhaps uh, we should or we miss out on, on better opportunities. Um, but there are other ways, like you say, one, one of them is, uh, is benching. So we actually avoid having good players on the bench. Um, because they might score more than our starting players. Um, and that is psychologically difficult um, for, for us to deal with. Uh, even refusing to cut our losses. So um, if, for example, you transferred out Son uh, and it turned out that that was a mistake because you know, Son just suddenly started scoring, um, loss aversion would probably cause you to be more reticent about bringing him back in because it confirms the mistake in a, in a way. Um, it confirms uh, that, that loss. Um, you know, while you don't have Son and you still have the player that you're replacing him with, there's still a chance that that could turn out to be the right, right decision. Um, but this might not be a rational uh, way of looking at it. The, the rational thing is, okay, if, if Son emerges as clearly the better option, then I should swallow my pride and just bring him back in, uh, even if it means you know that I have to accept the uh, the fact that I had made a mistake uh, you know with previous transfers, um, and and that is you know really the uh, the power of uh, loss aversion um, you know to affect our decisions when playing uh, FPL. Yeah, that's interesting. I like the fact that that kind of is very very close. In fact, kind of pretty paralleled sunk cost fallacy as well with that son selling example. Like you don't want to lose out on the the, the kind of the mental uh, thought process you put into making a sale like that. You want to stick to your plan. You don't want to you know have given gone through all that for nothing, as it were. So you may see a lot of people kind of sticking to their guns, saying, "Oh, I've made that decision now. I'm going to stick with it." Other impacts of loss aversion, um, you get loads of moaners on FPL Twitter who you believe would be in the millions, but in fact, in the top 10K, um, it just shows how you know loss aversion can impact behaviours. People are like, oh, that one thing's gone really bad, badly for me this week, and they'll be moaning about that, and you think, oh, they must have been terribly, look at their rank, and they're in top 5K or so, they're just complaining about the one thing that's happened to them. Um, I guess loss expectancy um, is something there too, like the idea of projected loss, which means that our actions get driven by ne negative emotions in FPL. And as I've mentioned, captaincy is a, is a key one there. And it feeds nicely back into pod 22, the effective ownership pod, because we fear the losses of the anticipated high EO pick banging her mentality, of course, would be a nice sort of link in here too. Meaning that few of us are brave enough, I guess, to stick our heads above the parapet and go for less captain option. So think of game week 20 when everyone was on Bruno, absolutely everybody against Sheffield United and Cancelo captain has got a lovely 34 points. Um, and I think it's 1% of people who did that compared to us Bruno owners with our four. Um, I guess at the time we all agreed, you know, on the podcast that it was a good idea to go with Bruno and post-rationalising is always a dangerous road, yada, yada. But maybe, maybe loss aversion is something we need to overcome and maybe something that late risers upside, upside chasing may inadvertently on his end, of course, uh, be the antidote too. Um, Nick, any recent examples of loss aversion? I've given a couple there. 
Yeah, I was just thinking about the the James Justin effect to a certain extent. Um, when we were talking about loss aversion, someone who I oh, sold in, in game week, game week five, and uh, you know, I've never really wanted to bring him back in because you know I just know the the damage that he's caused me so far this season. So, so sort of returning to James Justin is almost sickening after the sort of the last twenty or so game weeks where he's kept turning up with nine pointers and 15 pointers but I certainly think you know as, as engaged managers we, we can be driven by that fear I guess of what happens if we don't own or, or even captain that specific player and it, it has led up to these scenarios where we're all just like really sort of with the same players aren't we these very template picks likes of Bruno's the likes of Salah's the likes of Bamford's I mean I don't own Bamford but I can imagine you know looking at his sort of 88% effective ownership in the top 100k or whatever it was this particular game week that many managers who own him would, would be very concerned about selling him just because of the impact he had and then I think I had that a little bit actually to my detriment early on in the season when I hung on to uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin for a little bit too long just because I knew that as soon as I sold this guy I'd be afraid of the other 60% or so at the time of um, managers in the top 100k engaged managers that to own this guy and, and the fact that he could he could easily punish me so I just ended up committing to this chap who who wasn't delivering at the time it's, it's, it's definitely one of those where it is about falling prey to fear isn't it and maybe for FPL managers it should be about keeping mindful of not falling to that fear when it comes to captains at times or not falling prey to fear when you're thinking about the transfer you're going to make and maybe there is always that sort of element of chasing the upside but I guess in recent weeks because I've been so pummeled by not owning a couple of individual players I'm now thinking of going the other way Um, but I mean particularly for this week talking about that just now has given me a couple of ideas which I may explore in a little bit um, in the question section. And the final bit is satisfying and maximising in decision-making. So this is very much around decision-making styles, which I always find really interesting. as like a nice little contrast between two camps of individuals. The first one we'll call the less engaged, what Nick would call the casual, and the other one would be the engaged, i.e. us. <laughs> so uh, satisfying uh, as a decision-making style is very much that will do it's a very a kind of casual way of thinking so you'd say all right i need to replace x in my team what someone who is satisfying would do would look through and see who has the most points in that price range and pretty much confirm you know job done we see so often the market forces all the way back to the amazing example of uh, Stephen Ward at Burnley rising from 4.5 to 5.3 a couple of years ago. Just he got a dodgy assist and a dodgy goal. Suddenly, every time there's a 4.5 million defender out, he was brought in. Ditto Vestergaard and seems to rise up 0.5 million every season because he gets a couple of goals. Suddenly, everybody's away. Um, in contrast, maximising. So uh, this is what most engaged managers do to help in the decision-making, which is you know examining far more sources of data, listening to podcasts, reading articles, canvassing opinions on Twitter, analysing data to help come to their conclusions. You'll see this all the time. The contrast between people who are satisfying, you know, decision made early, I'm off. Um, the people who you know are bringing, who've already made their transfers now, despite the fact there's FA Cup stuff to come, um, versus people like us who will bifurcate, worry all week before invariably making a decision that it feels a bit like a middle, middle of the road compromise unless you're really really good um for me this is a, a really interesting uh, distinction because in life I'm, I'm a satisficer like my instincts surrounding things are normally very good and i'm happy to just trust them like i don't really do deep, deep research about it very much like i'll get what i need to know and i'll move on 
it really upsets my girlfriend because she's a maximizer. Like she needs to understand every avenue. You know, she's understand absolutely everything. For example, we're moving at the moment or in the process of it. And she's like, have you found a moving company yet? And I'm just like, yeah, I found one. She's like, well, have you compared it to other ones? No, not really. Like, this one looks all right. It does the job. And she, that, that enrages her. Um, but for some reason, the scale of my engagement maybe means that the sole exception to that satisfied personality is FPL, where I examine all the possibilities nowadays and to come to my conclusions. Maybe it's because we kind of consciously make a podcast which tries to ensure we're covering all the angles, but it tends to mean I get analysis paralysis and basically screw up. Like the last three years, my ranks have been average at best. I'm on, on course for a fourth. Um, so maybe I do need to go back to satisfying just to stop the noise a bit. Um, but yeah, no, a very interesting sort of contrast in the way people think. Simon, what do you think about these two and how they impact people in terms of FPL? Well, I, th- I think it's quite interesting because there, there is a study, uh, I believe, that I've seen um, that shows that maximizers typically make better choices, but satisficers enjoy their choices more. Um, oh, like that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, part of that is that they spend less time, you know, making those decisions and they create less stress in, in making that choice. Um, so, you know, there's, it, it really depends what, what outcome um, you, uh, you are looking for. If you're looking for the, the perfect outcome uh, or the ideal outcome, uh, then, you know, maximizing as the name would suggest is, is possibly, you know, the, the way to, uh, to go. But if you're looking to just kind of enjoy yourself, um, then, you know, satisficing is, is, you know, more appropriate in the context of FPL, there's probably something in between that it's possible to overthink things. I mean, we definitely know that this is, this is true. You can look at too many sources of, of data when making a decision. And, and I think one of the things that you kind of establish if you've been playing FPL for a while is, uh, is what is your most important criteria when when looking at, at a player, um, and if you can narrow that down uh, to you know just a handful of uh, of things, um, it, it makes your life uh, a lot easier, um, and it also makes you you know less likely to uh, make you know some some fairly sort of wayward or random uh, decisions. Mm-hmm much as you know we, we all like data and you know we talk about data on on these uh, podcasts and uh, things and we'd like to see kind of insightful things about you know teams that struggle on on corners and uh, and teams that you know uh, you know versus teams that are good in the air they're probably not the most important things and and actually when you look at it statistically um they have very very little influence o- over the the course of a, a season um however you know when you're going down one of these fpl rabbit holes it's, it's very easy to allow that kind of you know microscopic uh, insight or data to, yeah. to really influence your your decision um, and not always yeah. for the best yeah i think certainly as as engaged managers we can fall foul of over analyzing our decisions i mean we look at so many different facets don't we from analyzing a whole host of data as you highlighted looking at heat maps that's, that's like xg and xgi or even like you know press conferences are slightly off comments from a manager like pep guardiola and you know whole of twitter's jumped on it or you know everyone's analyzing the training photographs that have been posted on instagram or looking at you know ridiculous things like boots 
Bats and Bib Theory and all of that sort of crazy stuff that it can go a bit, you know, can go a bit crazy sometimes online, obviously, especially when during the week when, you know, he's got his fallow periods of no matches. But, you know, I think ultimately it does work out sometimes. You know, we can identify those gems every so often as engaged managers, like you've seen with likes of um, picking up on the sort of 4.4 million Matt Doherty for Wolves, thanks to very impressive underlying stats, or, or identifying a 4 million out of position player like John Lundstrom that many people noticed in um, pre-season thanks to some uh, good pre-season form so you know they, we do get some wins at least in terms of the community that give us an edge over certain managers but I think certainly um, you know you know the majority of people that play FPL um, don't spend you know all day analysing the decisions you might you get these managers to perhaps would have just looked at the start of the season and targeted Patrick Bamford for oh, 5.5 million starting forwards he's cheap he'll do straight into my team but the engaged manager might have been caught out at this moment in time thinking oh we all we all know about Bamford his uh, records in the championship the fact that he was snatching them you know hundreds of chances wasn't really putting them away for leads um, you know you know his previous um, experience in the Premier League at Midsborough as you said doing a paddy not doing anything and before you know it you've got these guys who've had Patrick Bamford at the start and completely um, smashing it and the same with Son and Kane actually to a certain extent you know there were a lot of people on Twitter saying the likes of Bruno was overperforming his XG the likes of Son and Kane were overperforming XG not getting these guys in sort of head in the sand type attitudes to a certain extent we you know linked in with sunk cost fallacy which you referenced I think earlier Tom and um, you know a lot of analytics on that sort of thing and, and this can um, cause managers to fall prey, I guess, to their own psychological biases where they're reliant on, on one form of stat and perhaps not looking at the bigger picture in mind. And whilst the casual manager has had Song Kane Bamford at the start of this season, um, not really caring and sitting at sort of 10k overall rank. Yeah, I mean, how many times have we seen that you'd be like, oh, if you weren't watching FPL Twitter on the day before and you'd seen all the rumours of blah, blah's injured. Oh, he's not been in training photos. Oh, I've just transferred out blah, blah because he's not, I, he hasn't been there. Next day, oh, blah, blah starts. And you hear people going, oh, no, I was caught out by that. Oh, I can't believe that he wasn't in training. Oh, I believed in so-and-so's rumour. Like a, a lot of the time, as Simon said, and as, as you're alluding to there, Nick, this information overload can be something which absolutely takes you over. Hearing on people's opinions on top of that. And uh, to your point, Simon, about having those sources that you particularly trust. Like, I think I had too many sources that I trusted who all told me through different things over the last few years. And it's really hurt me. I used to be a decent manager just through kind of the idea of satisfying and just kind of thinking, okay, that that's a good choice. That would do. I still have that instinct. And something I lost sight on this year a little bit just is kind of capturing my gut. So right down as a nudge to myself, um, kind of what my initial thoughts were about the about the game week which i need to do again actually um but yeah it's it, it i often find that the best managers are those who are uh, capable of being kind of quite single single-minded in terms of what they do um i'm sure you do that and i'm sure nick and nick definitely does that would not tell us anything until the day and be like, oh yeah i've just done this just a random move that ends up kind of evincing 50 15 points or so for him so i think overall this is something that i need to be mindful of in terms of how i make decisions and maybe kind of guard against that kind of general low of management and speaking of general FL general good example of a player who has kind of just cut out a lot of the noise this season stuck to his own guns and even though I do love interacting on Twitter maybe it's time to pull it back so anyway quite an interesting kind of voyage through a little bit of behavioral science there for you guys um 
just to sum up again, Hotham fallacy, Gamba's fallacy. This is the idea that streaks either do or don't continue, depending on your point of view. Uh, we kind of came to a conclusion, maybe to do some research, zoom into it and look at it um, rather than taking the streak as red be that a streak that someone is scoring or someone isn't scoring loss aversion you know check yourself is that what's stopping you from kind of making the best decision you can be making is it that and obviously there's the insulate thing or sunk cost fallacy that we've kind of referenced a little bit in between and satisfying versus maximizing maximizes as simon put it make better decisions satisfies enjoy their choices more oh, i just feel like i'd rather enjoy my choices rather than agonize over them uh, as a maximizer and always see what could have been but anyway hope that was interesting uh, we'll take a break there and move on to the Q&A after this, which includes, of course, looking at chip strategies. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? So we're back and it's time to catch up with the Who Got The Assist mini league. As I said earlier, if you want to join the league, the code is CPSUOF. So I'll do a quick rundown of the top five, maybe actually the top six, seeing as there's two people in the same score. It's all very congested in the league at the moment, but uh, tied on 1559 is David Izzett. Uh, with Hestwam untied and the ace team Wallace Clark um, both on 1559 decent weeks for both of those guys uh, but red arrows unfortunately um, and in fourth it's Ryan Hobbs got 72 points very nice score rising up and a um, friend of, on Twitter Alan Cooper uh, 71 points for him he's gone all the way up to third um, and rounding up the top two we've got Ben Connor with Connor Man FC in second and number one is Ryan Longstaff with Wakandan Wanderers he got 59 points so not not the highest score this week but overall rank 67 so he should be very pleased with that score that's excellent Wakanda forever yep holding on well done right no correspondence this week um, but it will return next week I promise I promise I'm not trying to kill it off in Anthony's absence uh, we do have uh, questions to be looked over in this section and to make Anthony the happiest man in all of the island of Ireland, it's who got the assist at gmail.com. Right, and whatever you want poems, uh, treatises, uh, lengthy arguments uh, with Simon on behavioral science, whatever you want to do, uh, please do. And uh, we will eventually get around to reading it. I know that there's quite a few currently uh, to be waited on because we had all of those big weeks that we didn't feel it was a good time to be throwing out correspondence just because it would, you know, it's 24 hours and it's gone. That's not good if you've, if you've bothered to write in. So we'll definitely be bringing that back next week and be working through the backlog. So apologies, bear with us. We will be there very, very soon. Another reason why it's fortuitous Anthony's not here and he's on the toilet this evening is the Q&A, uh, pre- predominantly uh, because the top thing in the Q&A is chip strategy. Of course, we don't yet know all of the Game Week 26 uh, fixtures, which means that you know, next week we're definitely going to be foregrounding this, talking on this through. But we felt that this week it was okay to have this in the Q&As rather than being, being kind of top of the agenda, just because there are a few things up in the air. But nonetheless, questions are beginning to be asked. You know, Chip Paradox on Twitter asks, you know, what's the play going forward? He's got wildcard and bench boost remaining. But how are we think of navigating things? Um, Karam Tizer also asked a similar question. He actually asked us if there's a, you know, any scope for different strategies. He says he's bench boosting in uh, game week 24, so the one just coming with West Ham, uh, particularly against Sheffield United, being the bench of his team. Just played 120 minutes, um, but I guess they've got a Monday game. And he says, you know, other players have okay games this week. Then he's going to wildcard into 26 and kind of use uh, go chippers for the rest of the year. So there are quite a few strategies there. But I guess fixtures permitting, chips permitting, where are we at and what are our strategies, guys? I mean, Simon, where are you in terms of what chips you have left and what you think of doing over the next little while? Well, I've only got my uh, bench boost left. 
Um, so I'm, I'm slightly apathetic as, uh, about the upcoming double game weeks. Uh, I, I really just want to kind of get through them. Um, I've, I've done a, a reasonably good job, I think, of getting in uh, in advance the, the kind of main players, uh, main danger players, uh, you know, the likes of uh, um, you know, Man City attacking assets, um, Calvert-Lewin, I've got Danny Ings for uh, uh, game week 25 when they, when they double. Um, and I've got a couple of transfers um, to, you know, to help sort me out um, going into this week. Uh, so I think um, I, I actually also considered bench boosting this week, um, partly due to the fact that I, I have uh, Anguisa of, um, of Fulham, uh, who's currently, yeah, <laughs> currently on my bench. Um, and uh, it, it did cross my mind that, you know, maybe I could uh, uh, you know, get something from uh, from that. But um what I would say is I think yeah lots of people are going to approach this with lots of different strategies and and the information is going to change as more information comes out um I think one of the mistakes that I made was you know moving too quickly uh on uh earlier decisions think, thinking um okay well you know one in the hand is is worth two in the bush um it turns out that it wasn't worth it at all um but I think the, the overarching advice I, I would give is, is one, wait and see how the FA Cup fixtures uh, turn out, um, because we should find out more information uh, about which teams are going to double um, going, uh, going forward um, and, uh, and, and hopefully when. Uh, but also, if you are wildcarding, um, don't dead end your team into... Uh, one of these double game weeks just for the sake of a double game week. Uh, otherwise, um, yeah, or at least in my experience, uh, you'll probably end up undoing all the good work <laughs> of those double game weeks in the following game weeks of trying to get your team back to some sort of semblance of uh, respectability. Yeah, definitely. And of course, there's that free hit, which some people may have. Uh, game week uh, 29 is looking like the free hit game week as it is uh, tonight. Uh, West Ham and Arsenal have been... Uh, uh, confirmed as uh, being a game no longer the Leeds game. Uh, so it's beginning to kind of tape shape already. But as I said, we'll see what it looks like when it comes down to it. Um, I've got wildcard and bench boost left. And I, like you, Simon, have been looking at potentially bench boosting this week. Uh, the thing is that I want more information before I make that sort of final decision. Uh, but I, the way I'm looking at it really is that like later on when it comes to game 25 and game 26 and as i said at the top in terms of why the last two games have been so bad for me is i need to probably stanch a lot of the bleeding when it comes to certain players i don't own namely the likes of kane son and justin who may coincidentally also have a good double game week in that big 26 um so boringly inevitably it looks like i'm basically looking at wild carding to a semi-decent template in the game week 25 and um, setting up for the bench boost in 26 and managing it out from there um, which means I'm looking at a punt this week uh, which is quite cool uh, for this week's uh, game week 24 uh, but really it is as I said all kind of uh, uh, all kind of fueled by the fact that I, I feel a little bit like I've got to just bite the bullet um, and kind of pay attention perhaps uh, to the loss aversion that I've been trying to ignore when it comes to the likes of Kane, Son and Justin because it just can't continue that uh, these guys, whenever they do anything, are absolutely pummeling my rank. You can't have them all, obviously, um, but sometimes it is good to just kind of 
repair and make sure that that downside is fully protected, especially where I am. I'm going for a similar strategy to um, what you said as well. Um, I think um, think I'm probably going to use the the wild card in, in 25 and then prep my team make it as good as possible for the bench boost where all the uh, double game weeks are going to be happening in 26. So I think, you know, obviously, as we said, it's hard to suggest any form of discernible strategy for sure, because obviously, you know, we don't know the full machinations of what's actually happening in that double game week, but we know at least for the next week, there's a, there's a double imminent for Burnley, Fulham, Everton and Manchester City. So I'll be looking at a few characters from that team. I think we've got a question on that coming up anyway. And the 26th is going to be the big double game week of the season as for Ben Krellin. So at least that's the one that I'm going to be looking at for my bench boost and for my wildcard team, try and make it as strong as possible for that particular one. There is, as you said, the fawn in, in the plan, which is the blank in, in 29, which we're going to have to potentially navigate. Um, so this is kind of where those people who have held on to their free hit have a little bit of an advantage. And ultimately, at this point, I still don't have mine, considering how much of a damn squib that game week was. But um, ultimately, I think, you know, that that's the kind of plan. But I'm just kind of waiting for a little bit more information, at least until I kind of really, you know, nail down that, that plan. Yeah, no, it certainly makes sense. Um, yeah, I suppose it's always going to be about navigating it as best you can with the resources you have. And I think, Simon, what you said about you know, just trying to make sure that you don't blow it all for one game week and then find yourself scrabbling to correct yourself the next is really, really important. Right, and uh, I guess the upcoming double game week 24 uh, for a few teams is, is next in focus. So, Kulamo Kunale um, at Kulam on Twitter. I apologise for butchering your name. Uh, jokingly asks about James Justin. Will he ever stop scoring points? Yeah, I know. Bloody James Justin. Uh, but he makes a wider point as well about essential players. You know, who would we label as this uh, for double game week 24? I guess mainly the Burnley defence, uh, who we've got a question on in a minute, will come through the likes of Pope, obviously. And one more, unfortunately, I bought Ben Mee this week, who almost gave away a penalty. Um, it will be pretty standard. I guess that one of the six defenders, if not two, I think top 10k over two six defenders will be through the roof. Uh, Gundogan, also include, I think, top top point scorer in the last six ludicrous value probably a potential long-term keep now i've got him at 5.5 he's now six hooray and bruno uh, perhaps one and maybe one more for united uh, but they just play 120 minutes and they've also got a very tough sociedad game coming up and also dcl who's been bought again in droves is that kind of the list you go for there simon are these players in your team are you looking to bring a player in yeah, that's that's pretty much exactly uh, the the list that, that I have. Um, I, I agree with uh, Gundogan. It, it's an interesting one. This this is a manifestation of loss aversion uh, in practice because I've, I've actually got Sterling, um, and I'm looking at bringing Gundogan in. And the question then is, you know, who do I captain? Um, because if I really wanted to make up ground, uh, I, I would probably go for Sterling. Um, but more likely, uh, I'm going to chicken out and, and go for Gundogan, like a, like everybody else um so yeah but I think um I think this week I, f- I feel like it has a Nick Pope hall written all over it uh this um so you know if you can get him in brilliant if you can't then you know there are some pretty good uh value Burnley defenders you know like me and Loughton but uh yeah I think I think you pretty much uh, uh covered them Everton obviously have some some decent options, but one of their matches is is pretty tough, and uh, yeah, because it's against City, and the other one is against Fulham, who themselves have, have been no mugs in in the last um, last couple of months. So I don't know if I'd be loading up on on them, but I do have uh, Calvert Lewin myself, uh, and I'm obviously holding on to him. 
Yeah, I think for me, I think Calvert-Lewin, he, he is looking pretty essential for this particular game week, starting to find his form again. And, and that Fulham fixture um, is worth highlighting. It's particularly tasty. I'm also looking at um, other Everton assets as well. I think there's a few other options, perhaps they're not essential, but I think, you know, you could look at a double up in Everton for sure for this particular game week, even though they do have one tougher fixture. They've got one very nice one as well. Um, with, with Manchester City, you talked a lot about Gundogan. You know, I'm not going to say it's essential because I, I don't actually own him, but I think trip, I think it's about triple Manchester City, isn't it? And I've got Sterling like you, Simon, and he's going to be one of my key players, one of my key differentials, hopefully, for next week. And I've also got Diaz and Stones, but the likes of Concello, obviously a fantastic pick as well. I think it's just about picking three from five, really, from the City boys for, for the next week. And you know, even a few others, Odin started to appear on the market forces as well. Um, certainly another pick that looks looks like a good one, but we unfortunately we can only own three Manchester City players. Otherwise, we'd probably have about five or six by now in our teams just yeah. because of their performances. But I think um, in terms of the double, we always worry a little bit about rotation with City. I'd probably say Diaz and Gundogan, probably the safest picks of them all. So maybe even uh, captain the centre-back for the double game. We Bill Banger actually asked a question about this. He said, are we overstating Burnley for the upcoming double game week in the context of many years of us taking chances of teams who happen to have good double game weeks on paper, but aren't performing well, you know, the classic Duffy triple captain uh, turned out pretty diabolically, didn't it? And that, that was a, a famous case. I think I captained him, at least I didn't triple yeah, captain okay. some, yeah, some managers. Um, but, you know, with, with, with Burnley, I'm actually going to, I'm going to skip him, to be honest. Um, I'm not going to go for them. I know you've been heavily championing Ben Me. I'm, I'm not convinced, to be honest, especially after that last performance. But, um, I actually quite like Nick Pope. If, if I was to pick one Burnley player for my team, it would be Nick Pope. I mean, you know, looking at Burnley, they, they, their defence hasn't been great, let's be honest. They're the fourth worst in the league for shots um, on target conceded. But it's, it's about Nick Pope, isn't it? He's, he saved 86 of the 113 shots. Only Johnston has saved more shots and it's 79.4% save rate. It's the best of all the active goalkeepers. Far superior than the likes of De Gea, who's got a dreadful save percentage of only 62.7%. There's a few others out there, really low percentages. But Nick Pope's been an absolute um, amazing goalkeeper. Should be starting for England if his distribution perhaps was a little bit better. I don't know. But um, I think the challenge um, for me with Pope is is uh, Emmy Martinez just been excellent as well, hasn't he? And he's got that home fixture against Brighton. So he's got another nine-pointer. So if, if I had a crap goalkeeper, I feel like Pope would be a shoe-in. But with Martinez, I just, I don't know. So maybe I'm going to skip Pope. I think if you're bench boosting, like you're thinking, Tom, then, then maybe a Pope-Martinez combo would be yeah. fantastic for the goalkeepers. Yeah, no, I think I would, if I was bench boosting, I'd definitely do Pope. Um, that's for sure. Um, a bit Fulham and Crystal Palace for a double game week. As Nick Wrench referenced, that is double game week 34 a couple of years ago. Brighton, Bournemouth and Cardiff, two home games in a row. Uh, it really has that stink about it, doesn't it? And as Nick mentioned, Shane Duffy, two points out of those two games. Even captain himself famously on fantasy football that week. Um, I mean, what with Burnley, are they the new Brighton? Without knowing what the result is, um, they it's worth mentioning they've had a tough run before they've come onto our radar here. They had um, United, West Ham, Liverpool, Villa, Chelsea and City. And they also had very, very respectable wins over Liverpool and Villa in that run. Um, but I guess kind of looking to remember the question from the other week from John O'Forward in the correspondence about how we frame data, we've really got to consider how poor 
Burnley's defence has been in the last six, but also why? Because of those games. Over the last six, Burnley's defence, yeah, it's been really bad. They considered the most shots on target. They considered the most shots. And I guess a little bit worrying for them, worryingly for them, they've also considered the most shots in the box. So it's really important to remember that Burnley as a team allow a lot of shots. And that is why Pope gets lots of saves. But an unusually high amount of shots in the box is a cause of concern in spite of those people that they've played. Because normally the likes of Tarko and me would be the ones clearing those, blocking those, intercepting those, the CBI kings. Um, so maybe there is a case that they're letting more shots at goal at the moment uh, than they normally would. Um, but equally, you know, it's a, it's a good double game week. And odds are that Burnley are able to at least whistle out a clean sheet of those two. Um, and as Simon said, there's lots of really cheap looking um, uh there's a well, there's reasonably priced, I guess, uh, assets within that those that claret that in that claret's backline. Even though lots of lows at four point five, just as like a cursory sort of cope, pope cover if you needed to, uh, could do the job. Um, I think I'm probably going to. Oh, I think I'm. I'm. I've got Ben Me, and I might may well get one more actually if I'm looking to wild card next week. And I'm taking one one uh, week punt. I don't think I'm going to move Martinez, same as you, Nick. So I might end up getting Lowton in just as a bit of a cover. Simon, what do you think about the Burnley defence? Yeah, I, th- I think um, it's. I mean, it's hard to look beyond the Burnley defence as, as options uh, for this this game week. But um, yeah, like, like I said, obviously big fan of uh, Pope. Um, I mean, not only have they got a really good double game week in you know Crystal Palace away and Fulham at home, um, but one of the important things I think about Burnley is they've also got a really good fixture in twenty five uh, with uh, West Brom at home. Um, so looking at those, that that could be three clean sheets. In a row, and for those of us who who aren't wildcarding in uh, in twenty five, um, Burnley is actually you know a team that you can you can bring in their players and, and sit on them uh, a, a bit. Um, after that, uh, their run does get a little bit tougher, but they also you know, sometimes tend to do better against uh, against the bigger teams. And you know, like like you say, it's the uh, the cost efficiency uh, of them. Uh, you know, could be really beneficial at this stage of the season when we're trying to load up. Um, on on some of the uh, bigger attacking players. Hmm. I guess we've got so much money at the moment, though it doesn't particularly matter uh, to some extent. But no, I get I get where you're coming. Yeah, from, it never sure. lasts long, though, does it? Yeah. No, absolutely not. It's just that point of the season, isn't it, when things are a bit up in the air. Um, speaking of which, um, if it is invoked to wild cards in twenty five, suddenly we do have one hit punts galore. Hooray! We all love that kind of final dance with your team uh, before you wildcard that final one kind of game week wonder and Ulysses FPL is right on the bottom of the question here he says you know he's looking for basically punts around that I mean he specifically is looking for a midfielder but we might as well do the gamut here any sort of one week punts that we can think of um, I've got kind of three that I'm going to mention if that's all right and then I'll uh, maybe go or maybe go to you Nick first uh, after that uh, but my three are uh, Luke Shaw from Manchester United didn't play tonight um, but he's four well I think he came on the 90th minute of 120 something like that um, but he's one I'm very interested in if I was taking one hit one hit one week punt against uh, against man against West Brom a team that conceded three goals per game under the manager that they've got uh yeah, uh, he's created the most chances, the most big chances, and has the highest XA of all defenders in the last six game weeks. This is Luke Shaw, people. Big old Luke Shaw. Uh, in midfield, Raheem Sterling. Hooray. 
Um, I'm thinking of joining you guys on the wagon, shockingly. Um, I think he's a bit overlooked after getting back-to-back eight-point returns, had a break, and he got 11s before that. He's had the most shots in the box, the second most big chances, and he's scored the fourth highest points amongst mids in the last six games. Gundogan's been stealing his sort of uh, fire, but I think he's a great low percentage captaincy pick for the double game week, and I think he's the one that I'm looking to bring in and captain where I am, 500k. I'm, I think that's a good idea. Um Obviously, if you're doing well, Gundogan, do it. Forget about it. But I really like that. And finally, Ollie Watkins, single game week player again. Uh, but he's top of all the metrics over the last six for a, for a striker. So I think that if you are looking for a striker to replace, for example, with Antonio's Crocs, he could be the one that I'd be looking at. Nick, what do you reckon? Uh, those three? Yeah, Luke Shaw was one of the ones that I called out as well. Um, as you said, some of the attacking stats are particularly impressive. Um, passed the eye test with my dad as well, who, who uh, texted me to say that Luke Shaw looked like a decent <laughs> pick for FPL. So um, just on watching the game. So, yeah, I think he, he's certainly once called out West Brom away and uh, surely that's a clean sheet for United and, and definitely a chance of some attacking returns as well with his form. The other two I called out actually were just some Everton players. So one that's potentially coming in for me is Luca Dean and he's had seven assists in 13 games over the course of the season. So he, he's been doing really well in terms of some of the attacking stats, also impressing in terms of the underlying stats, 12 chance creation, etc. Everton, as we know, have Fulham home as part of their double. And the other one was another Everton pick we haven't mentioned, which is Hammers Rodriguez. So he's back in the team, uh, started off, um, you know, really impressively at the start of the season. He was, he was kind of like a, in, you know, majority of our teams after that excellent uh, rich vein of form. Um, at the start of the season, but obviously he dropped off the radar a little bit with the injury, but he was back last game week, scored a goal, um, certainly one to, to keep an eye on, especially if you're looking for someone sort of around that mid-priced mid-range. Uh, what about yourself, Simon, Who, who's on your radar, at least for one-week punts? Um, yeah, uh, agree with uh, those. I, I mean, there's always the possibility of you know, looking at you know, the likes of Mares and Foden at, at Man City, um, if, you, if you want to take that, that risk. Um, I think possibly it's a, it's a good week um, to look at uh, yeah, a Chelsea uh, player. Uh, they're yeah they've got Newcastle at home. Um, I think Mason Mount is is probably the most nailed on one, and uh, I mean he's right up at the top of the charts in terms of chances created. Obviously scored in in the uh, last match uh, as well. Um, so yeah, he he could be good for a, a one week punt. Um, if you don't have the money for Mount, you could go for uh, Jorginho, who's uh, scored two penalties in two matches, um, and uh, that might not be as random as as it appears, um, given you know the types of players that Chelsea currently have. Uh, you know, are, are uh, you know fast and uh, you know difficult to mark, and uh, you know, so it's. Uh, yeah, very easy for uh, them to win penalties at the moment, it seems. One sort of real left-field one, I think this is mostly for, for people looking to bench boost, is, is possibly Ariola at uh, Fulham. Um, and uh, Fulham, uh, as we discussed, got Everton and Burnley at home. Um, I think double game weeks often sort of unfashionable goalkeepers tend to do very well uh, in, in double game weeks. Um, at, at least, you know, that's my recollection. Um, and uh, he's he's cheap enough that if you are bench boosting, that you can then, you know, stick him on your bench for, uh, for the rest of the season. Although I will point out that Fulham themselves have got Sheffield United at home in 25 and Crystal Palace away in 26. Um, so, you know, he might be more than a, a, a game week 24 punt, but... Um, yeah, I, I think uh, 
not saying that you know he's uh, he's captain material, but uh, I think that you know he's a he's a potentially interesting choice uh, for a differential this week. Oh, absolutely, Ariola, the cheapest playing goalkeeper. Good call. Let's hope it doesn't go tits up for you if you go for that. <laughs> um, and the final question this week is bench woes. So we're obviously not immune to the fact uh, that I bench Suchek and. Uh, DCL the last couple of weeks so I know exactly how you feel General Zod who asked this question he asked how are we feeling about bench points and their continuing their continuing pummeling of us how is that affecting our decision making uh, Simon what are you doing is it is it something which has happened for you a fair bit and how are you kind of dealing with kind of the impacts of that Oh, de- definitely. Yeah, I mean, I had um, a target on my bench uh, this week, which was uh, seven points. Uh, I know that you know people have had much worse, but it's it's always annoying um, whenever you uh, you bench a, a player. I've I've avoided it for the most part this season um, because I have gone with a very sort of cheap bench uh, strategy. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I I kind of get why it's annoying, um, especially. You know, if you have a player on your bench who who kind of outscores the rest of your team, which or your or your bench outscores, you know, your playing team, um, which has happened to me, you know, more than once, um, that's really annoying. Uh, but I I do think it is just annoying. Um, it's I think if you reframe it and say, okay, bench points, that highlights the strength of your team. If you're scoring points from your bench, or if your bench players are scoring points, um, that suggests that you've actually got quite a strong squad um and so you could take it as a positive so whilst it's annoying it, it's not necessarily something that you want to avoid um and not really something that you can avoid if you're making logical decisions uh you know based on whatever criteria you, you use to make these decisions and you end up with some some points on on the bench you know that that really is is the game um I think you would probably we would probably do more damage by trying to avoid it. Uh, anyway, that, I mean that's just my uh, my view on the subject. There was a really good piece on uh, Fantasy World Hub by Phil Woodsy this week, which was similar to that. He said, you know, he doesn't understand how people get annoyed about their benches because a good bench tends to show your team is quite healthy. You know, so rationally, as you've been inferring, don't worry about it. It's a good decision uh, to do whatever you did, I'm sure. And we're in a very unique time at the moment, if we've spoken about, where well, there would be more bench points than, than normal, right? I totally get the rationale behind it. But I hate it. I really hate it. I hate the cognitive torture of knowing I've got a player on the bench who can score big every week. And the worst has happened over the last couple of weeks. Maybe that is uh, just, you know, availability heuristic. As recent stuff has happened to me, it's salient, so it's, it's killing me. But you know what? I don't want the option... Of that happening i really don't i i just don't like it i, I don't mind having you know a 4.5 million holding or whatever coming off the bench or a dawson but having someone like suchek on my bench having someone like dcl on my bench i just just i just don't like it it, it makes me feel uncomfortable it's irrational i know but that's that's kind of the thing though isn't it is that if if the solution to this is to make your squad weaker yeah is is that a positive step uh, it's, it's not it's not about making it weaker it's it's more about having a someone that you can kind of cognitively identify as being a bench ready player so i said said nick last week my ideal bench is probably going to be two 4.5 million ish defenders and then a piece of crap like i know you know the kind of that that, that meme photo feel like pure and just want her back 
I feel like people, I just want Brewster back so I could stick him third bench, not worry about it and have my front seven always on the pitch. You know, I'm happy with them. There's never going to be a problem. And like when I wildcard, I think I will try to go back to having a proper bench 100%. I just, I just don't like it. It's like basically you know, like investing or something like that. You've got to stick to the style that suits you. And I just feel like this one just doesn't suit me, like having all these sort of, points on my bench and having that strong squad you I get what you're saying I rationally completely understand it but that kind of two center backs and cheap forward approach I've previously campaigned for is probably going to mean I avoid someone like having Suchek in my team just so I don't have to try to navigate this and get it wrong because I just I just I don't know it's just something about it we've all got our pet peeves and for me in FPL having points benched when you've had a choice to play that player whereas if it self-selects in this is a bench player it doesn't matter if they come on or not if they do great and if, if they do well if they don't then they were benched anyway if it's a margin call like a Suchek or a DCL I, I just I just don't like it it just makes people very uncomfortable but that is just me and I, I'm aware that it's completely irrational and just personal it's, it's very normal though isn't it it's, it's the, the paradox of choice yeah uh, it, it sort of goes back to the satisfying maximizing thing that um you know, if you don't have to make that decision, uh, you'll feel happier <laughs> than if you if you did have to make That's that literally, decision. Literally, I, I, I want the decision out of my hands. Yeah. <laughs> Nick, what do you reckon here? So, yeah, I'm probably going to annoy you and a few listeners by boasting about my bench scores. So in the last three game weeks, I've only actually benched three points in total, which is just ridiculous compared to some of the people I've seen who've benched 40 points in, in one particular game week. So it's just worked out with some of those characters. And and the meme ex, um, example is particularly um, irrelevant because I do have Brewster on my bench getting that one point or two points every so often. I've got Tyrick Mitchell, the perfect uh, bench foil sitting there as well. And uh, and I think, yeah, ultimately, you know, I, I don't think there's harm in benching points. I think it's frustrating because obviously you, you have a headache every game week. You have to think about something else as well as your transfers. You have to think about who's going to start week in week out, at least with myself and my team. I've kind of got a clear idea of who's benched this particular game week. I actually benched Andrew Robertson and he got me zero points. So that kind of worked out uh, pretty well. But, you know, I think if you've got mm. these scenarios where you have you've got three starting forwards, you've got Sue Check as well, it is, it's very, very challenging. And, you know, I can appreciate the challenge, but that's, that's the thing about having Sterling instead of Gundogan. I spent all my money on my starting eleven, so I don't have money for the bench. And and I think having these characters, you know, like Swally Burke or Basuma or Brewster sitting there, I don't think there's any harm with there with them. And you know, having a four point five million defender who can rotate in. So I was rotating Walker Peters and Dallas for quite a chunk of the season. I think that kind of works as a generally you know, an effective strategy because the starting 11 is ultimately meant to be the most important members of your team. And then, then you should have a, a clear bench in mind as well. At least that's how I approach it. Cool. So we'll move on anyway, um, round it up with uh, transfers and captains. Um, so uh, Simon, did you want to start perhaps with the, uh, your transfers this week and, and your captain? Sure. So uh, my captain is going to be uh, one of Sterling or Gundogan. Um, Gundogan will also be my, my transfer in. Um, probably for Salah, which I don't really want to do, but don't feel I have much alternative uh, at, at the moment. Um, and uh, then I've got a second uh, transfer, and that's going to be a Burnley uh, player. <laughs> uh, it could be Nick Pope, uh, in, in which case I, I would bench boost, um, but more likely it'll be uh, Ben Me. Oh, Ben Me. 
Oh, dear me. Are you sure you want to walk the path of Ben Mead with me? I, I would not be doing that. Oh, yeah, no, it certainly makes sense. So, um, so I'm going to be wildcarding 25, so I am, I think, in punts territory. And I think what I'm going to do is do that whole, that whole upside chasey thing I've heard so much about. It's going to end in absolute tears, isn't it? Basically, what I'm looking to do is stones to Lowton. I already have me, so I'll be doubled up on the Burnley defence. That basically is um, going to mean that my defence for the double game week will be uh, Diaz, uh, me, and uh, and Lowton. Maybe I'll be playing Dawson as well if Antonio is not fit. So I have four at the back, um, and I'm because I'm removing a Man City player in defence, that means I can get one in, in midfield. And that would be Sterling. So I'd be doing su- Suchek to Sterling and I'd be captaining Sterling. Uh, so I'd be kind of going all the way. In addition to data from earlier, um, a bit of an eye test wanker point. Um, he has been, he has looked so much more like the goal scoring Raz that we know and love over the last few weeks rather than the whip please guys Raz uh, that we've seen in the past. And I'm really interested in bringing him in. I think that he's going to be one of those players because Gundogan is there. He's such amazing value people are going to be overlooking him as an option um, so I think that he's going to be one that I'm hoping given where I am I'm 500k I would not be recommending this if you are doing okay I think you just consolidate with a Gundogan it's, he's Gundogan for example is still owned by 20 is only owned by 25% of people maybe you'll be up to 30% by the end of the week uh, but Raz 12.5 13% absolutely worth it I think as a, as a comparison um, in terms of ownership uh, for someone like me who's looking to push it upwards and um, so that'll be my punt and i'll be wild carding in 25 i'm almost sure but let's see what happens with the rearranged fixtures and finally nick what are your plans for this double game week i'll be captaining sterling that's, that's really interesting i think yeah for me i was planning a defensive move so i was looking at luca dean as a possible option as a replacement for robertson or mitchell i've got plenty of money in the bank so i could just do a straight swap there so that was one thing i was thinking about doing getting another everton guy in defense thinking about upside chasing, I was just actually eyeing up the possibility of doing Son to Rashford, which would be quite exciting, perhaps. Uh, get on the Rash train for the, for the West Brom game. He could be a really interesting differential as well uh, for the next week. So that's another idea that I've got in my mind. I'm probably not going to take a hit, though. I'm going to try and avoid a hit as much as I can for the rest of the season. So probably just a single move for me. Uh, but in terms of the armband, it's probably going to go on either Sterling or Calvert-Lewin. I haven't quite decided. I've been umming and ahhing between the two options, so I'll, I'll give that a little bit more uh, thought before I make a, a executive decision there. Um, so, yeah, thanks, guys, for um, listening. We were Who Got the Assist. Um, if you haven't hit that subscribe button, uh, make sure to do it. And uh, thanks, Simon, uh, for coming on. Uh, very enjoyable. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Great to have you again. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, we'll try to make this a yearly thing rather than a biannual thing. Things I think it's always interesting. There's lots to talk about behavioural science. Well, I try to do it every now and again. Uh, but nice to have a focused one. We hope this assists you think more deeply about the behavioural side of FPL in any case. Speak to you next week. I can't wait to get some sleep on Thursday night for once. Uh, but yeah, all the best in double game week uh, 24. And yeah, speak to you very soon. Goodbye. See you, See you guys soon. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Sports Social Podcast Network.